going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest audio for Free Admission for Real at www.freeadmissionfr.com. Actually, a dual duel, if you will, where we're going to be talking about Bound for Glory from TNA, which was tonight, as well as Glory by Honor from Ring of Honor, which was on Saturday. My name is JP Nichols. I'll be joined by Ben Turpin to talk about the ba Glory by Honor portion. But for now, we're going to jump into Bound for Glory, Tana's latest pay-per-view effort, which I thought was actually a very good show. And let's get right into it. We opened up the show with Zima Ion defending the exhibition title against Rob Van Dam, and honestly, a very enjoyable match. Like, it went about eight minutes or so, and Van Dam actually gave Zima Ion quite a bit of offense, which I thought was a pleasant surprise from the usual Van Dam effort. However, unlike the usual Van Dam effort, not to necessarily his own fault, he actually ended up winning the match because Van Dam, he managed to hit the five-star frog splash, covered Zima Ion, one, two, three, Van Dam is your new X Division champion, which I personally am not a fan of in the least, just simply for the fact that this match was made on Thursday, and I feel like Zima Ion probably could have dropped the title belt to someone else, maybe eventually, or at least had a bit of a longer run. But at the same time, I suppose her mentality behind it is, oh, let's give the X-Division title someone to actually attempt to enhance the division a bit more since it's the annual, oh, X-Division is dead storyline again, uh, pretty much, which is our like, go-to for like, the last six years. But as far as the match goes, uh, Zion looked really, really good in effort, and Van Dam gave him a lot of offense, which I was very pleased with. So, perfectly good opener, uh, and first of many enjoyable matches on the show, leading us to our second match, which was our television title match between Samoa Joe and Magnus, uh, which was probably like number three in terms of like my most anticipated matches of the show, which was another very good match, better than the opener actually. The two of them exchanged a lot of really good technical wrestling, crowded up very into it towards the end of the match, chanting, this is awesome, which I don't know if I'd necessarily say that the match was awesome, but I can definitely say that it was a very good match. Smojo managed to make Magnus tap to the uh, choke, clean it as a sheet, and again, another thumbs-up match from Bound for Glory. We then actually had what was being argued as probably the third best, well actually I should say the best match of the show, on the third match of the night, which is a street fight between James Storm and Bobby Roode with King Mo as a special enforcer. I'll start off by saying that King Mo as a special enforcer served absolutely zero purpose whatsoever, other than to stand there and be King Mo. But the match itself was very very, very awesome. It was about as good of a blow-off as one would expect between these two. I would say because these two have had two other matches against each other, one being at Lockdown, uh, which was the cage, which I thought was very good, and then they did the one a year ago, which was the initial title switch that essentially started this whole feud. This one was better than both of those. Uh, he did a lot of very nasty spots involving thumbtacks towards the end of it. Had an awesome finish towards the end with Storm uh, super kicking Rude into the tags and covering him for the win. After about 18 minutes of just sheer brutality throughout. And really, probably in a three-way tie for best match of the show. They really, really enjoyed this, honestly. So, once again, we're now our three matches in and all three thumbs up. This one being a way thumbs up, I would say. However... We had one match that sort of decided to bring the whole chain down a bit, which was Al Snow versus Joey Ryan, which it wasn't like the worst match I've ever seen or anything, but it was certainly probably the worst match on the show, and it's not necessarily 
due to uh, Joey Ryan's fault or anything. It was just pretty slow, pretty plodding. Uh, Al Snow wasn't giving Joey Ryan a lot beyond the fact that when Al Snow actually hit the snow pile, Joey Ryan kicked out, which I thought was a pretty good near fall, to be honest. But the finish of the match came after uh, Al Snow went to grab Head and use him on Joey Ryan, which actually Joey Ryan managed to grab from him and actually kissed Head. Yes, that actually happened in a wrestling ring. Uh, Al Snow went outside to get him again, and Matt Morgan, uh, a.k.a. as Tim Exile put him, Mike Mondo on stilts, arrived and kicked Al Snow's face off. And then he tossed Snow back into the ring, and Ryan covered Al Snow and won himself a contract with TNA Wrestling. And Joey Ryan was holding on to Morgan like a toddler, pretty much, and offered Morgan a handshake. The two shook hands, and they look to be an, a unit now. So we will see where that goes going forward. We then had uh, one of the other two big matches of the night, at least best match of the night, I should say, which was a tag team title match between Christopher Daniels and Kazarian versus Chavo Guerrero and Hernandez versus Kurt Angle and AJ Styles. Absolutely insane match that I really can't do justice in terms of recapping. There was just way too much to call in this match. Uh, dives everywhere, Kurt Angle being an absolute machine. Kazarian and AJ flying everywhere. Just an absolutely spectacle of a match that I honestly immediately wanted to watch again by the time it was done. I will say that I was surprised by the result, which was Hernandez and Chavo Guerrero actually getting the win after Hernandez hit a border toss to Daniels, followed by a frog splash by Chavo, and we had new tag team champions as a result, which I'm, I've sort of expected like the two of them to win the tag titles eventually, not necessarily on this show, but the whole mentality that I thought behind it was because this is uh, Arizona's a state where Eddie Guerrero is buried in, so they probably had the mentality, oh, we should have Chavo win here. It was sort of how I drew a similar conclusion to when Vicky got the pin in that awful women's match at WrestleMania 26 uh, two and a half years ago. But overall, a very good match. Chavo on the mic dedicated the win to Eddie after the match, uh, unsurprisingly. And really, one of the three best matches on the show by a large margin. We then had a Knockouts Championship match, which was Brooke Tessmacher versus Tara, which was honestly pretty okay. Like, not a very good women's match, but I mean, up to par from like the Knockout WWE Women's Standard, it was pretty fine. And Tara actually won completely clean, surprisingly enough, where uh, Tara managed to hit Tess Marker with Windows Peak for the 1-2-3, and afterwards she grabbed the mic and was talking about uh, her Hollywood boyfriend that she wanted to introduce, who she actually called bigger than George, Brad, and Leo, and introduced her quote-unquote boo, which was from big brother Jesse Goddard's Mr. Pectacular and said she did it for him, and to which Mike Tanay uh, aptly replied, Boo is right, as well as, let's move on to something important, which I thought was absolutely hysterical. And in all honesty, the commentary had some very funny lines throughout the night. Like, Taz even uh, had a really good one-liner during Al Snow and Joey Ryan when the crowd started chanting, you still got it. Uh, an assumption towards Al Snow, Taz actually said, why is the crowd chanting, you've still got it, a Joey Ryan, which I thought was very funny. So props to them for actually stepping up their game a bit from the usual effort. We then had our, our pretty much uh, co-main event, I suppose you could say, which was Sting and Bully Ray versus two men from Aces and Eights, 
which uh, Bully Ray was actually painted up uh, with Sting face paint on, which I thought was a pretty nice touch. And the match was pretty okay. Uh, not really a lot to it. Like, it was a pretty standard brawl. Um, uh, Sting and Bully Ray managed to do the Doomsday device and whatnot. They went to get the tables. And Ray went outside to get the table and brought it in. And Sting was pulled to the floor and slammed to the barricade. Uh, when another masked man came into the ring and slammed Ray through the table, and that was all. So Aces and Eights won, so they're allowed to stay in Impact for a while. And then probably the most talked about moment of the show, sadly, which is unfortunate because of the fact that the rest of the show was very good, but uh, this one will probably be talked about for a while. Uh, Hulk Hogan came out. I mean, well, uh, all of Aces and Eights started beating down on Sting and Ray, to which they could not do much. Hulk Hogan's music hit, and he came out to the stage, laid them all out one by one, ripped off his shirt, did the typical Hulk up, and then he was uh, going to look at the, the big masked man who came into the ring last. And Sting grabbed the man and Hulk took the mask off. And the big reveal was Devon Dudley. And with which Bully Ray was very stunned. Hulk looked absolutely devastated. And Devon says that they have something to think about now because it was always him. To which the crowd retorted with, this is awkward. Probably one of the funnier chants that I can recall in quite some time. <laughs> and this all led to our main event, which was Austin Aries versus Jeff Hardy for the World Heavyweight Championship. And in essence, I didn't even really think about it, even when I was typing in my preview for this match, but this match has almost, in essence, been a year in the making for Jeff Hardy himself, not necessarily for this match. But because of the fact that ever since Jeff Hardy returned following the Victory Road incident last year, he's been actually been trying to fight to earn the respect back from the fans and whatnot. Uh, put on stellar performance after stellar performance. So actually didn't even really occur to me until the match started that this has essentially been like built up for a year in essence. But the match itself was very, very awesome. Uh, tie, again, this would be the third one in terms of like best match of the night. Uh, very different from the other two, though, as you would expect. Aries actually controlled the majority of the match, which I was pleasantly surprised with. Uh, saw a lot of great spots, including one uh, really awesome one, which ended up uh, with Hardy countering the uh, last chancery and ended up doing an alley-oop powerbomb, which I thought was particularly wow-inducing. And another thing about this match was the fact that the crowd did not at all react the exact way that I expected going into this match, because I expected Aries to probably be booed out of the building and Hardy to get all the cheers, but it was actually completely 100% vice versa, where uh, at least when the match started, Austin Aries was the one getting absolutely all the cheers and Hardy was getting all the boos, but it progressively became more 60-40 for Aries as the match went on. But... We ended the match with uh, uh, Aries going for the Brain Buster. Uh, Jeff uh, countered it, went up top. Well, actually, uh, uh, actually hit the uh, a twist of fate. Went up top, Swanton, one, two, three. Uh, Jeff Hardy won in about a 23, 24 minute match. A very good match. And Jeff Hardy is your new TNA World Heavyweight Champion. And that was simply how we ended the show, with the fact that it actually did not end with a swerve. It ended with a clean finish, to which I know some people were <laughs> do not, are not used to that by typical TNA standards. But, all in all, uh, honestly, a very, very good show. Had three great matches, I would say, in Austin Aries, Hardy, the tag title, and Storm and Rude, as well as a few other 
good matches under the card in terms of Van Dam and Zion and Joe and Magnus, which I honestly would probably call very good, especially for the time it received. The weaker stuff of the night wasn't even bad enough to the point to detract from the show, Devon aside, which I know has become really the whole summarization of this show. But really, uh, uh, probably I would go as far as to say maybe TNA's best pay-per-view of the year. Uh, I would possibly go to that extent because I know May was very, very good. July was obviously very, very good. Uh, August was a good show, too. But I would certainly say, if anything, top two, top three for TNA this year. And probably one of the best pay reviews overall for most companies this year. I actually feel that I sort of enjoyed it more than Glory by Honor, which we're about to get into. But definitely worth checking out. And I guess I will be right back as we get Ben on the line to talk Ring of Honor, Glory by Honor. And we're back, everyone, uh, with the second part of Duel Duel. I have Ben Turpin on the line now. Actually, before we get into Glory Bond, or since I know you have not seen the show yet, Ben, what were your thoughts, at least on paper, of the results of Bound for Glory 2012? Well, I know three results. I know that Joey Ryan is, I guess, so that means he went to contract, right? Since he beat right. us, no. Okay, so that means maybe he won't be in PWG as much, or at all. <laughs> Jeff Hardy won the title. I heard that at the very end of your uh, we're recording this back to back. I heard that at the end of your audio review, um, which I'm not happy with, but uh, I'm sure it was a really good match and I'm really looking forward to it. And I heard that Devon was revealed as the aces in point seven. Did you mention that part from Dave Meltzer? I did not, actually. That okay. was a very good line from uh, Mr. Meltzer of uh, the Wrestling Observer, where he was talking about how they did not unmask anyone from Aces and Eights, so perhaps due to the fact that they're keeping the masks on, they could eventually be known as the Aces in 0.7s, yes. which was a uh, <laughs> very great line that deserves mentioning on here. And perhaps we can be lucky enough to get Jeff Hardy versus Devon for the world title at Turning Point 2012. I watched most pay-per-views. I, would... I can't say that I would watch that one, but... <laughs> I honestly do not see that happening, just simply for the fact that we now have James Storm potentially title contention. I would assume Aries has to get a rematch. Uh, we potentially could even get AJ and Angle moving back into singles competitions, since they'd have to assume they're done with Daniels and Kazarian. Daniels and Kazarian will probably chase after the tag. Well, is Devon, I mean, he's arguably the top heel of the promotion now. Is that right? You can say that. I, I, in all honesty, if he gives the brains behind Aces and Eights, I would say he is most certainly the top heel. Well, until they go back into the impact zone on Thursday, at least. Oh, yes, because then everyone will uh, chant a bully ray, Devon's better. <laughs> and so they'll be forced to turn the Aces and Eights face. <laughs> Aces and face. Uh, faces and Eights, I suppose. I almost said. <laughs> yeah, but to say the least, I mean, I'm like completely behind on TNA. I haven't watched in probably... I don't know, two months, a full episode of Impact. They did have me there for a little while, I'll be honest. I mean, I was watching because of the Aries build, and I did attend Destination X, so anytime I usually attend an event, that gives, you know, that kind of gets my interest peaked a little bit. And uh, But yeah, after that, Aries won the belt, and then what happened? He had the rematch with uh, Robert Roode, which was a really good match, I thought. Uh, the finish was, you know, a little overbooked, obviously, but, uh, and then that led to the Aces and Eights match, which... Uh, had a very devastating brain buster, and I think we tried to do an audio for that show, and it didn't work. 
but uh, yeah, we tried. Yeah, but see, instead of being lazy this time, we start we we decided to do the first annual dual duel on free admission, and uh, that's why you have the audio in the format that it is tonight. So, indeed, indeed. Uh, and I will I say that Jeff Hardy was at the bottom of my list for guys that I wanted to see Aries against at uh, the Bound for Glory show, but I'm sure it was a really good match, like we already stated. So, or I stated. Well, hopefully, even with Aries now in regular singles competition, we could get some of the matches that we actually prefer to get, such as Evan Styles. This is true. Uh, that would yes. be one that would immediately come to mind, at least. And it'll or buffer up the mid-card, which is always good. Yeah. Because, I mean, presumably those main event matches are going to deliver with Jeff Hardy because they'll just get more, and then you have Austin Aries in a mid-card match, and, you know, I mean, he was certainly delivering in the mid-card uh, before he won the title, so I don't think he's going to yeah, have trouble exactly. doing it after. Yeah. But, uh... I suppose we should move on to the other glory that was this weekend, a glory of honor from Ring of Honor, which was actually, I have to say, I was very, very surprised and pleased with this show. And it's not even necessarily that I wasn't even, like, uh, like the least bit hyped for it going into it, because I was very excited to see Steve and Michael Elgin. Right. But I would say that uh, this show over-delivered in just about every category in terms of expectation. Yeah, I mean... I was pretty lucky just to see the show. Well, I mean, not only in terms of time, but just seeing the show. I mean, I wasn't going to give Ring of Honor $15 after Death Before Dishonor. And then uh, just for the time's sake, uh, it ended up opening up that uh, I could watch it last night, or Saturday night, I should say. And then I actually won a retweet contest like 10 minutes before the show on Twitter. So uh, I was lucky enough to be able to delve into Gore by Honor. And in terms of, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because of the booking change. Uh, you know, you alleviate your expectations. I think everybody was kind of cautious coming into this show um, because... I think everybody wants, like, first off, a lot of the people I talk to, they want wrestling, they want to always give wrestling the benefit of the doubt, especially the indies, and I think people still want to give Ring of Honor the benefit of the doubt, so everybody wants to get excited, um, but because of the product where it's been the last, you know, year and a half, people are obviously very cautious of that, but, uh, I mean, I would certainly say the show delivered, uh, and I think that there's a lot of positives, which you know, like comparing the two regimes, which I'm going to do that frequently over the show. I was kind of looking at the show coming in under a different scope because, uh, you know, Jim Cornette is uh, out of power, but uh, you ask certain people and you just hear so many different things that, hey, maybe it's not going to be a big difference. But uh, in my opinion, there were so many things that I saw on this show that just gave me the idea that it was maybe not like a full 180, but maybe like a 160, if that makes sense at all in terms of uh, overall philosophy and approach. And, uh, yeah, so like I said, I thought there was a lot of positives to take out of the show moving forward. We opened up the show with Caprice Coleman and Cedric Alexander versus the Bravado Brothers, which, honestly, in terms of an opener, was probably the most enjoyable opener I can recall from Ring of Honor in a while. Yeah, I thought Mike Mondo and Roderick Strong from Boiling Point was really good, but what I took... Oh, that's true. That's yeah, true. I mean, I that, that's just because it was recent, uh, but really nothing else jumps out at me either, and I was thinking about that uh, before we started. Um, I thought it was really fun, don't get me wrong. What what I took out of this in terms of when I'm looking at the two regimes is that there was a real overload of near falls at the end. I'm not sure if it necessarily worked out as well as they would have liked. I thought the crowd peaked in the middle with all, all the, you know, the dive sequence. Um, but right. that's a positive that there was an overload of near falls. You know, like, you know, some people like those types of matches. I personally watch the indies for the most part because of those types of matches. Uh, and I just think, and also it was a clean finish, and that 
that'll be a pattern over the course of the night. Um, but I thought both teams looked good. I think actually, I think it was the crowd more than anything else that tapered off when they started doing too many near falls at the end. But uh, I just, just in terms of like number of near falls in the last three to four to five minutes. I mean, have you seen a Ring of Honor opener that's had that much in a year? I, I at all, even I close. Honestly, could. I honestly couldn't recall. I would say probably the last one that comes to mind would be maybe All Night Express and Future Shock from Final Battle almost two years ago. Okay, so yes, you're going way back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the point, exactly. I mean, yeah. as to why, I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> I fully appreciate this kind of match, especially, you know, with how like how uncommon it's been in a Ring of Honor environment for so long. And in terms of, like, uh, you know, like... Uh, just the overall, you know, because we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, just our overall feelings at the beginning. I thought this was probably, and maybe we should save this for the end, but I want to go ahead and talk about it now because I'll probably forget or will forget, is that I thought this was probably, this show, in terms of, like, the last comparable show that I could go back to in the history of Ring of Honor, I thought it was the best show since, like, May of 2011. And it's not because, like, I necessarily think that, like, I just think it's very comparative to, like, that Revolution Weekend and I think Supercard of Honor, and that was when they announced the Sinclair Purchase, and I think that's really where... And then I think, uh, you know, the Charlotte show they had that summer was pretty good, um, but really, I mean... And I think the other two shows that people would argue are, like, the best in the worlds. Uh, I thought last, you know, June, you know, I think the second half, you know, was pretty solid, um, or at least for a lot of people, and then I think this year you had two great matches, um... But, yeah, so, I mean, to have to, to go back, you know, we're going back to May 2011, you're going back to December of 2010, uh, and, yeah, so I'm not sure what that says, but, uh, yeah. Oh, oh it, just, uh, it just really just covers really the stagnance that the promotion has had for a while, and now hopefully with the uh, change of creative, we're now going to have a bit of a resurgence. Yes, well, I mean, for this, for this one night, we certainly did, in my opinion. Yeah, I would entirely agree. As seen in the next match, actually, which I, if I were to take a poll in terms of like people like for most anticipated match on this show, I'm pretty sure this one may have gotten a whopping less than zero, if at all possible. <laughs> well, what about which, the next match after it? Oh, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it got less than this. One. Yeah, I mean that actually might be lower, but at least for me personally, it was this match, which was. Mike Bennett with Maria Canellis versus Mike Mondo, and I can pleasantly say that I was actually surprised by this Now we have match. to talk about how this match was set up. Are you familiar with how it was set up? Well, I guess they um, had the angle in June, but then they did a TV angle as well. I'm not familiar with the TV angle because I've actually tried to block the promo <laughs> from Best of the World 2012 from my mind. <laughs> well, I think the only thing you need to take away from it is that Mike Mondo essentially raped Maria. At least that's how I understand it. Oh my lord! <laughs> and this is the guy that we're supposed to get behind is you know the big underdog baby face. And then on TV, doesn't like Nigel and Kevin Kelly always make like provocative jokes about Maria too? And Nigel was great on this show, by the way. Uh, at least during this match. I mean, Nigel's always good. I like Nigel, but uh, when she got on, what was she doing? And he just started going crazy. It was obvious, honestly, the highlight of the match. I don't remember when it was in particular, but he just started going crazy and. Probably when she got on the ring apron. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I felt like yeah. that happened twice, but it was towards the end of the match yeah. anyways. But Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the match, I thought it was, like, really physical. 
I thought they did some stupid stuff. Um, but look, you know, I don't... I didn't think it was necessarily stupid. It was just a lot of punishment. Maybe that's being more fair. Um, there were two spots early, and then there's the obvious spot when they did the dive off, or when Mondo did the dive off the entrance. But uh, uh, Mondo, they set up a spot where Mondo essentially pounced Bennett into, and Bennett just, like, flew into a barricade. Am, am I, like, misremembering that? That really happened, right? And it looked ugly. No, that... No, that pretty much happened. Yeah, and it looked <laughs> ugly as I remember it. Okay. And then there was the one spot, at least th- that one, and then there's another one that jumps out at me, is when Mondo comes running off the apron, and then Bennett just power slams him on the floor. Uh, I, d- yep. I can't imagine that felt very good. And then there was probably two or three other spots where they just, like, totally went bare down onto the con- or to the floor, so. Yeah. It, it, the, to say the least, this match had, like, a lot more physicality to it than I was expecting going yeah. in, especially considering these two, even though I do like it quite a bit. And Mondo, I mean, I can't really say enough about hashtag Mondo Mania, but, like, he's, uh, he's, he's not the worst thing in Ring of Honor, I can say that much. And, like, he's at least bear- bearable. I know I'm going to get tomatoes thrown at me when I say that, but... <laughs> Like, well, it, the way they handle him, I think, makes him unbearable. But if I'm just judging him as a talent, I th- he's bearable. He's more than bearable, yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's, like, really what I was trying to get at. But with the way that they push him, it just becomes unbearable, like you said. But for this match, at least, both of them really, really brought it, unlike any way that I expected. And I actually was completely pleased with the result of Mike Bennett beating Mondo, simply for the fact that Bennett has been in such a bad state with Ring of Honor pretty much ever since the beginning of 2012 honestly I mean just simply for the fact that I mean I, I couldn't even tell you really like the last time I even won a match beyond when I saw him beat Mike Seidel live <laughs> <laughs> and that was in April correct in Chicago yes. Ridge yes well he had the feud with Steve Carino and he won every single one of those matches and then what did he do at that point I don't remember but then he had that feud with Jay Lethal and El Generico and everybody thought he was going to win the TV title. Like, final ba- I think they thought he was going to win it on TV, then he was going to win it at final battle, then they did another match on TV, he lost again. And uh, and then he beat Homicide uh, at yeah. the 10th anniversary show. The Lance Storm matches, which progressively got worse. Or not necessarily worse, but they just progressed in terms of uh, the amount they were given. Uh, I thought the last one actually wasn't really that good at all. But, um, yeah, and then other than that, uh, really don't have a lot to say for Mike Bennett. Yeah, which is unfortunate, especially considering that having just watched King of Trios recently, that was the best I've ever seen him. And then he would come back to Ring of Honor, and it's like he's just sort of running in place. Yeah, but well, least... it's, it's unfortunately the state of the promotion. I mean, everybody just runs in place. I mean, yeah. even Steen in the main event's running in place until this particular show. I mean, right? Yeah. Essentially, yeah. kind of feels like. I mean, he's had some feuds, yeah. I guess. I mean, Eddie Kingston, you know, that had some some at least long term longevity in terms of like months I don't know in between like a first match and then like a blow off I don't know yeah but, now that's actually going to be carrying over into Chikoro for Cybernetico yeah yeah and it took uh, it took them announcing a Cybernetico and the captains uh, and it got more buzz it's gotten more buzz than anything Ring of Honor's done since I don't know maybe this show actually uh, I don't know if this show generated <laughs> enough buzz to match that because not really a lot of people saw this show, unfortunately, but... Yeah. And I did want to well, mention that, you know, I, I got this show for free. I actually wish I would have paid for it. But. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that would be a very good assessment. I mean, they certainly deserve it with this particular show. Yeah. Which actually, uh, 
Unfortunately, the next match was actually not a good showcasing of that, but... Uh, no. Uh, first off, the positive. It was another clean finish. Um, that's yeah. the only positive I can take away from it. Uh, I think I said this on Twitter. Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin at this point are a legitimate risk to their opponents. Um, you know, you work a wrestling match, you put the hand, you, you, you know, you put your body in the hands of, you know, somebody else. There's trust there. Uh, and obviously, you know, like the slightest things are obviously a risk to your body. Um, it's very dangerous. And, I mean, just within like the first two minutes, like Shelton Benjamin, just basic stuff that, you know, I'm not saying I can go in there and work a pro wrestling match and be success, be successful at it, but uh, Shelton Ben, he's just so lazy. He doesn't do anything. And, uh, yeah, you know, but- I'm not even being critical of Charlie Haas, who's just very boring, but like Shelton Benjamin in this particular match, it's like maybe I'm beginning to understand why he was just a manager at Death Before Dishonor, you know, and, and didn't work a match that night. You know, other than the clause that says he can't work singles matches. But, I don't know. Well, that, that was really the whole problem with this match, because it's like you got the uh, world's greatest tag team in there who are just, as you said, pretty much boring. You have BJ Whitmer in there who Ring of Honor just simply uses as like a job guy. And then you have Rhett Titus in there who probably at this point, following the Kenny King incident, which is now almost four months ago, they probably should have gained a ton of momentum from that, and he's just like... Out of like all the main Ring of Honor guys that you want to call running in place, you might be the worst. Yeah, and I mean, you know, sense. you really said it when the Kenny King thing happened. I mean, he should have had all the sympathy in the world, but yeah. unfortunately, yeah. he was stuck with Haas and Benjamin, and he actually kind of feuded with Steen, and they actually did the angle on Boiling Point, which led to a match on television, um, which I think actually airs. I think it aired on Saturday, or maybe it's next week. It's one of the two weeks. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's unfortunate for Rhett. I'm like, I'm a big supporter of Rhett, and uh, I thought the match with Mike Seidel in Milwaukee was like a really fun opener. They just had like a 50-50 match, and just it went like 10 minutes, and it was just like a lot of fun. And it's like, I mean, much like the regression of Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, just in terms of the act, in terms of the ring, in terms or the ring work, in terms of their run in Ring of Honor, that's kind of what ha- what's happened with Rhett Titus just being in the feud over the last six months now. I mean, so uh, yeah, I mean it's not good things for Rhett. He needs to be completely. And I think that maybe it just being a totally clean finish was a good good sign, just because hey, you know that's the conclusion. So now Rhett can move on, and hopefully BJ can move on, and. Uh, Although Haas and Benjamin not winning is or winning is is not ideal, but I mean I will say that there was one rather uh, good sequence in the match between like a kickoff of sorts between uh, Whitmer and Haas where the two of them just traded blow after blow, which I actually was rather into. But beyond that, the match was just sort of decent at best, really, and that was really all that could really be said about it. Yeah, it was but perfect right- buffer for the match we got next. So yeah, exactly, which was a very awesome match, yes. which. Uh, I should say, I guess we had a brief recap of Steen and Lethal from the uh, Rawway a week ago, which seemed very wild, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it I, got a lot of heat at first, but I, I think it's actually, a re- on paper, it looked like a good angle, but I remember the initial report that I read kind of convinced me that it was terrible, uh, just because of how the fans reacted, but I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing it, and apparently it was a really awesome match, too, so. Yeah, yeah. And it carried over into uh, Lethal's mic work, where he was just basically telling everyone to screw off, honestly. Which, yeah. and in all honesty, it's 
I mean, this uh, this whole thing with Lethal has probably made me the most interested in him that I think I've ever been. Yeah, I mean, even which... before I saw the character kind of happen at all, I think I saw one TV where they did an angle, I think the first one, to kind of establish this killer instinct thing. And I, I just read kind of the results and kind of some of the TV taping stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm probably the most interested other than maybe like the first few months that he was in the promotion. So that's a credit to him. Yeah. And this match, uh, it was Jay Lethal versus Davey Richards, was, to say the least, rather awesome. Is this the best Jay Lethal singles match ever? I I was actually thinking about that, too, because really it's like, when you look at Ring of Honor, I mean, he's had some very good matches, and then even in TNA, he had like a couple really good matches. Like, he had one with Angle, he had one really good one with Dutt. And Ring of Honor, he's had like a few really good ones with Joe and Loki back in the day. But... I would probably say this may be his best match, maybe ever, because it was just really, really awesome by like the final ten minutes of it. Like the crowd was completely ballistic for it, honestly, which uh, it was a real credit to them, considering they started off sort of apathetic towards yeah. the match. But... Yeah, I felt like the crowd was kind of they were kind of off and on, but ultimately it didn't like they added to stuff more than they took away from it, or that they didn't add anything to all. So that's a credit, but. And then also on top of the fact that, like, you know, a lot of people, I mean, in regards to Davey, will always, like, complain about the fact that it's like, oh, well, Davey always wins, and then he'll talk about how good the opponent is after yeah. the match. But here he gave lethal a ton. And I understand that people can be annoyed with the, oh, Davey kicked out of this, this, this. But at the end of the day, they do have to try and keep Davey strong because, I mean, he is arguably top draw in the company right now, but he did so much to make Lethal look so awesome, and this is the kind of match that like would make me fall in love with Ring of Honor back in the day. Yeah, and, and it happened fourth on the card, which I think is notable. Um, I think that this... Uh, the, the the other comparable lethal match, I think, in terms of best singles matches that he's had just in this, just in Ring of Honor, because, I mean, he's obviously a lot better than his first one, was the January match that they had in Philly, which I thought was yeah. good, but this, like, blew that match, uh, that, it certainly blew that match away. Um, it really just, I feel like lethal's been handcuffed under the regime, much like a lot of people have, you know, the proverbial handcuffs, um, in terms of kind of the style and pacing, you know, Lethal and Generico, this is, you know, and there's many examples of this, uh, they, they essentially feuded in Ring of Honor, and they never really had, like, a match. You know, they had, like, a match on TV where they went 15-minute time limit and they restarted it, and then they they did another, they did a TV rematch, and then they had the three-way elimination with Mike Bennett in Final Battle, but they never had that, like, 20 to 25 minute Jay Lethal and El Generico match that you know is just going to be off the hook, you know? And yeah. it's like, this is the first time where it was just like 23 minutes, and it wasn't too long like the January match was. Um, they probably did as much as that one, but here, and just in terms of the match, like, there was so much nifty stuff in this match I've never seen either guy do. They were just like busting out new stuff. I was like blown away, honestly. The Actually, probably. Especially. <laughs> the table bump was disgusting. Oh, on top of it all. Yes. <laughs> like, but I mean, like, I I hate to even use this phrase. I mean, just because it is a phrase that is like overused. But it's almost like this was, in a sense, a quote unquote PWG match 
in the sense of, you know, just allowing people to go completely balls to the wall. Yep. I mean, because, and again, I hate to use that phrase, because even companies like Dragon Gate and Evolve have right. really adapted into that as well. Well, it's the standard but, now. It's like a standard yeah. label, so yeah, it's okay. Enough. Yeah. But, I mean, like, this was just really, really awesome stuff. I'd actually probably say, I mean, out on the whole show, second best to the show, which should really give credit to the main event when we get to that. Yeah, absolutely. We had intermission, and we came back with what was supposed to be Tadarius Thomas versus Roderick Strong, but Roderick, uh, he did not have his ring gear on. He said that he was not facing some random jabroni after intermission, yeah. and he announced that he was quitting the House of Truth, and he walked out, but Truth Martini had a replacement in Rhino. And we had Rhino versus Tadarius Thomas, which was honestly, you know, not much of a match. Like, it went about six minutes or so. Rhino mostly dominated, and Tadarius got a fruit roll-up victory. <laughs> yeah, think? yeah, he, he did get a fruit roll-up. Uh, but um, <laughs> I think a lot of people were disappointed we didn't get Tadarius Thomas and Roddy. Roddy. Uh, I was actually looking forward to that match on paper. Um, but the match, in ter- like, I got, I got, kind of got what they were, I mean, I fully got what they were going for here. Um, it, it didn't really, like, deliver tremendously, and the match was just, like, really there. Uh, it was kind of bad, actually, I thought. But um, I took the positives out of it. Uh, they, bas- they essentially, Roddy's, like, said he's done with the House of Truth, and uh, they eliminated uh, Truth and Rhino from the main event, and we didn't even talk about the bump yet uh, that Truth took, uh, and Tadarius Thomas went over Rhino. So, you know, that's a lot of positives as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I would say so uh, entirely, actually. Because, actually, uh, uh, I was watching the show with a friend, and he even said to me, you know, oh, well, I guess we're not going to be getting uh, these guys in the main event, which didn't even really occur to me as it happened. And I'm like, wow, well, they completely handled that very effectively. Yes. And, yes, the bump that uh, Rhino, after the match, uh, decided to take Truth Martini hoist him high up in the sky in a military press fashion and toss him to the outside and poor Truth Martini. That's all I can say. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he got demolished horribly. Uh, he, he just uh, he crashed against the guardrail. He had a huge gash going across his leg. Oof, no, you had a couple looked... of spots from Mondo Bennett. You had the two table spots. Uh, the one in Lethal and uh, Davy, and then the one in the main event, but this was like, this blew those out of the water, I thought. Just <laughs> yeah, very I mean, stupid. Uh, I, I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure I'm, if that was intended to be that brutal. Uh, I don't think so, uh, but uh, it, it, yeah, he certainly wasn't going to come out for the main event after he took that spot, so. <laughs> yeah, at least, <laughs> I don't th- at least not able-bodied. Yeah, he <laughs> like, might still be in Canada. Yeah, in all honesty. Ugh. But, yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with House of Truth now. Cause yeah, so now, now you cool. have no House of Truth. You have no Embassy. Uh, R.D. Yeah. Evans was with Q.T. Marshall. I really don't know where Q.T. Marshall stands. A lot of people seem to kind of be, uh, I don't know, uh, they're, they're not sure what to think of Q.T. Marshall and where he stands now that this kind of regime has changed. But uh, I will say that uh, I... Uh, it, the, a lot of people like, yeah, why is Q.T. Marshall in ROH? He was supposedly the shining star of the uh, last uh, tryout that they did. So, uh, Shining Ooh. Star. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people could play with that one, but... <laughs> well, I don't even know how to follow that one. 
<laughs> well, I suppose we could follow it up with, with an actual Shining Star offhand. Sure. And Adam and Cole, who came out looking rather spiffy, for lack of a better word, sporting a brand new beard. <laughs> like, uh, in all honesty, I was thinking to myself that he almost looks like a darker Rhett Titus when he came out. Or even <laughs> I saw someone throw out a Tyler Black comparison as well. Okay, I'm not sure if I this. had those comparisons, but uh, what I will say is that after just completing Bola within the last couple of hours, um, anybody that has access to using Adam Cole regularly or at all and doesn't utilize him as a heel is not really doing themselves the optimal of what they could be doing with Adam Cole. This guy, like, and I've seen enough of this CZW stuff, and I've always made the comment that, like, Adam Cole, Major League Heel. After seeing the Bola stuff, and then he came out with that beard, it's just like, and he uses the figure four, which I just think is completely idiotic for a baby face to use the figure four in 2012. It's a great heat move, I think. Um, so that just adds to the fact that, like, this guy, everywhere and anywhere, at this point in time, should be a heel. Um, just pff, fantastic, honestly. But yeah, he I, wasn't here, but he was at Bola, and uh, I think when a lot of pe- when a lot of people see Bola, they're going to be like, and then they watch Ring of Honor and they see him kind of play vanilla, you know, standard babyface, they're going to be saying the same thing. Yeah, I would entirely agree, but that said, what we had to work with here was Adam Cole defending the TV title against Eddie Edwards with a 30-minute time limit. Yeah. And this match was very, very, very good, as I'm pretty sure anyone would expect out of these two. Uh, like just a lot of really devastating-looking stuff in this one, too, honestly. Two particular spots, uh, one being a DDT that Adam Cole gave Eddie Edwards yes. on the ring apron, where it looked like Eddie Edwards could have potentially died. Yeah, okay, well, I, okay, they did this spot at Bola, too, and Eddie at Goribon are kind of like... I don't know, he kind of like flew in the air a little bit, but the I thought the one at Bola was actually more devastating, if you can believe that. Um, I think oh. it just kind of depends which way you look at it, but yeah, very, very, very devastating. And he, he took that, um, you know, I think I put it on Twitter, he always takes that like a champ, because he took it in the Wolves future, or O'Reilly and Cole match from Charlotte last year, and right. yeah, always uh, very devastating, especially when you take it like that. <laughs> yeah. And then the other uh, spot was when they were... Oh, I can't remember exactly how this was set up, but, I mean, it was Edwards holding Cole, I want to yes. say, for what looked like a Death Valley driver off the top. What's and, um? What's the move... What, well, I feel I'm going to sound oh, like such an idiot. When he hooks the legs and just does, like, a driver, what's that? Oh, that's what oh, I kind uh, of... 2K1 bomb. Uh, there you go. That's kind of what I figured, but it, yeah, it probably wasn't. But whatever it was, it did not work whatsoever, and the two just sort of fell to the outside and crashed very hard on the ring apron, and yeah. I was pretty stunned that the two of them were even able to get up and continue after that happened. And in all honesty, it actually short- ended pretty quickly following that spot, so I'm almost curious if it actually did play into that, like whether one of them got messed up. And then, you know, resulted to go home early because it, in all honesty, you know, I didn't want to harp on this too much, but I actually could have seen these two go for quite a bit longer, actually. And then it, following that spot, it just sort of like wrapped, it was like yeah, wrap it up. If I was going to have a criticism, it was that the match kind of ended abruptly. Having just watched Bola, I actually thought this match was kind of comparable to the Kyle O'Reilly match. This one went a little longer uh, with, with Cole. Um,. And this is kind of irrelevant to the match, or I mean, it's relevant to the match and matches. Is that 
they the the first like 10 to 15 minutes was very similar where they did like uh, a lot of kind of like dueling spots and a lot of countering stuff and it was really a lot of progressive kind of like uh tiring work i guess is is uh you know the way to describe it um but basically the point i wanted to make is that like by the 15 minute mark adam cole was totally tanked in this match i thought and actually kyle o'reilly in the bola match was completely tanked he was totally gassed out and i'm not like calling into question their you know like cardio or anything but i don't know just because both matches were similar and i kind of actually think that's why that spill happened was because like you know adam cole was on top you know he's obviously even and then you know it just kind of natural and they're all obviously both very slippery and sweating very much so um but yeah that that random observation aside uh, and mind you eddie was not tanked at all he was uh he was totally right there as uh he he always is but um and in my opinion, Eddie Edwards, one of the most consistent guys in North American Indies right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a lot. I mean, again, another match that, uh, like, the one of the three matches on the card. This is the one match that I thought, under the previous regime, still should have delivered. Because there's no reason why this match should have had any storyline basis. Which means they should have just went out there, had 20 minutes, and that's what happened, and just had a clean finish. And there's, you know, unless maybe Eddie was going to turn heel, um, or maybe Adam was going to turn heel, or something along those lines, which obviously that could be accomplished after the match. Um, but then, you know, my hopes for it, you know, kind of rose a little bit when, when the, um, when you know, the, the, the booking change happened, or, you know, the regime. It, it's kind of very gray area in terms of definition, because, hey, if you ask some people, you know, uh, it's still going to be the same, and, uh, you know, uh, Jim Cornette and Delirious were basically partners. Uh, I guess it just, again, depends uh, who you ask. But, uh, yeah, again, I thought... Uh, but, yeah, having said that, uh, this match delivered. This was, uh, you know, and, again, second, you know, the three most important matches delivering, uh, and this was the second. Uh, very good match, and... Yeah. And then we went to our uh, tag title match, which honestly, <laughs> like going through the show, I actually completely forgotten that this match was even happening. It was uh, Jimmy Jacobs and Steve Carino defending the tag titles against the Briscoes, which was honestly a match that I thought was sort of like a carbon copy for the most part of their boiling point match. Yeah. But that's not to say that it was a bad thing. It was just pretty much, you know, exact replica of it, and that was a good match, don't get me wrong, and this was too, but it just didn't really have, like, a lot of variation to it. Yeah, I mean, because of the booking, well, I I didn't really alleviate my expectations at all because of the booking change with this particular match, but this is the type of match, Briscoe's versus Steve Steve Carino and Jimmy Jacobs on paper, that was, if if it was in any other era of Ring of Honor, you'd expect it to be, like, some classic kind of, like, no-DQ match. Um, uh, Not that I was expecting that at all here. Um, just, I don't even know why I said that, just random, but, um, yeah, I mean, they got a little, I mean, they started off pretty hot, then they did a heat segment, um, this was the one match where they kind of didn't do a clean finish, I guess, but it is scum, I mean, that's their title, so I think it's appropriate, and, and it, it, I guess it was one of two roll-ups on the show, but it wasn't really a roll-up, and, and the other one was, you know, perfectly acceptable, and in a totally meaningless match, so, um, but yeah, I wasn't like thrilled about the bowling point match. I know a lot of people actually kind of really like that match uh, more than I did at least. Um, so I guess if you like that one, you like this one. I like this one a little bit more, I think. Um, and again, I thought, you know, they got 15 minutes and I felt like they, I don't know, it just felt like there were more matches that got a lot in on this show than your standard, what has become your standard Ring of Honor show over the last year or since Sinclair. 
Um, they did, you know, several near falls at the end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a good match, and I thought it was, you know, a good, like, not necessarily a buffer, but between, you know, the Cole and Edwards match, which went 20 minutes, and then, you know, the the main event, obviously, which got a lot, a lot of time, and it was very awesome. Yep, which we're going to get into right now, actually, which uh, actually opened up with Steen coming out first, and yeah. he was uh, decided to cut a promo. And actually, we saw Roderick Strong sitting in the front row, which I have to tell you, when I saw that happen, I immediately was Every- less than thrilled. Yeah, yeah, I think that was everybody's kind of impression. Um, but uh, one, but one note I wanted to make about the promos is that uh, I think that's that's good too. Uh, I, I don't think they've done a lot of that, and that was something that Delirious actually did a lot with when he was booking in to, late 2010 and 2011, is whether it was to establish a character, or maybe to establish a storyline. Hey, come out and talk before the match, then have the match, and then get your storyline stuff over after the match, and they actually did that here. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, some of the storyline stuff, which, you know, because I thought coming into this match, especially under the previous regime, I fully expected this match to be overbooked. I mean, how could you not, right? I mean, this match was totally set up to be overbooked, right? Yep. With Roddy so. and Truth and the House of Truth or whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you can get into the match first and then we'll kind of break that down a little bit. Huh. Well, it was, um, I mean, well, uh, the promo bit, I mean, just had Steen talking about how, oh, he's getting 80% off the t-shirt sales and said that Jay Lethal's parents were banned from Ring of Honor events. Also said he would never wrestle Lethal in an ROH ring again and went on to say that ROH officials were making him a new title belt, actually. Yeah. And he announced that the package pile driver was entirely legal and said that tonight the unbreakable man gets broken. So... Uh, that led into our big main event, which was Michael Elgin versus Kevin Steen. I would honestly say, I I know a lot of people going into this match were expecting Elgin to get like a huge reaction, considering that they're both uh, Toronto, oh, okay, Canadian guys in the uh, Toronto market. But the uh, ovation was a bit lukewarm, I thought, for Elgin, and a bit more for Steen, but thankfully... That actually changed throughout the course of the match. Uh, although it did not change for Roderick Strong, who made his opinion very, very noticed, which was booing Michael Elgin and cheering Kevin Steen. <laughs> yes. We, we had Kevin Steen versus Michael Elgin for the Ring of Honor title, and this match was absolutely awesome. I don't know if I could say that it was as good as Davy Richards and Michael Elgin from Showdown in the Sun Night 2, but I would certainly say that this is probably very, very, very close behind it, because these two just, uh, it's cliche to say, but they left everything they had in the ring. Yeah. And they just did so much that there were so many great spots. Uh, there was, uh, by the, uh, as the match progressed, the crowd became more and more into it, although at times they were drained, and even Nigel made note of that on commentary. It was just talking about, oh my god, the crowd is like, drained from the night, but they are entirely invested in this match, and Nigel himself was way into this match as well, uh, noticeably jumping up for uh, certain things that happened uh, throughout the course of the match, and I really just cannot praise this main event at all uh, enough, and really just exceeded my expectations that I had going in. Yeah, the, the crowd was certainly in favor of Steen, and then like 
there would be portions in the match where they would start to get behind Elgin, and it felt like they were getting more behind Elgin than they were Steen, and then all of a sudden, a Steen chant would kind of override it, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I thought it made for a fine atmosphere and vibe, a dynamic, actually a really good one. Um, it, it just seemed like every time they were kind of, they, like, it felt like the crowd was shifting to Elgin, uh, they would get behind Steen. But yeah, in terms of uh, the Davy Richards match, I thought this, I didn't think this one was as good. Um, like, I I actually thought Davy and Elgin was probably, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a comparable kind of like margin, but uh, I would say maybe like, uh, I don't know, like not like below solidly uh, better. Um, I thought the, the Davy and Elgin was paced a lot better and uh I don't want to steal one from somebody, but uh, there, I think there was a lot of uh, more memorable moments about Davy and Elgin. Does that make sense? Like, there's a lot of great moments that I think stick out about that particular match. Not that there's nothing that sticks out about this one either, uh, but I just thought... And there was a, kind of a lot of uh, downtime in between some of the big stuff in this particular match with uh, Elgin and Steam, but, uh, like, that, I'm not... I mean, th- for 31 minutes, uh, like... I'm surprised, like, Steen didn't die. Like, and, and I love Steen, and everybody loves Steen, like, but he's, like, so fat. So for him to go at that pace for 31 minutes and do some of the stuff they did, and they really never, you know, like, they, they pretty much got the point across and everything. There was really no kind of, uh, you know, like, I don't know, you know, maybe a spot or something that could have gotten flubbed just because, I mean, these are two massive dudes, you know, doing a lot of sh- shit they probably shouldn't be doing for their size. Um, in terms of Roddy, uh, what what was such a positive is that like he actually ended up adding to the match for me because he was a non-factor before the match even really got going, and then so because of that, I was kind of able to look back and kind of enjoy that time while he was out there because I did think he was really good just sitting there at ringside, um, and uh, you know Elgin pretty much just killed him and then threw him through the curtains. Now I'd be lying if I said that I didn't think he was coming back out. I certainly did. Um, so that was always in the back of my head. The, 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 the entire last, you know, well, I guess from that point on, they went another 20 minutes. But for the last 10 minutes when they were just doing, you know, doing all the big near falls, I was like, okay, Roddy's coming back out, right? Roddy's coming back out, right? And then he did come out, but after the match. And that's where the storyline progression should be happening. It should have no effect on the match. And I can't say that under the previous regime that it wouldn't have. So... But it didn't on this night, and because of that, I think I even liked it even more just because I've been, I, ever since I saw that match on paper, which I guess, what, they announced it like two months ago? I was right. like, that's set up just, you know, for all kind of bullshit or bullfuckery, and fortunately, you know, it was clean as you could possibly hope for, pretty much. And in all honesty as well, I mean, one thing that was also a major positive about this match was, I mean... Because it, it's been a touched-on point by some people, but uh, with the way that Kevin Steen's title reign has been booked, it's been largely no DQ match after no DQ match. Yes. And, and while there was, you know, a table spot in this match, this was largely from bell to bell a 100% wrestling match, which is something that Kevin Steen could do very, very well. Uh, and Michael Elgin absolutely is no slouch when it comes to that either. Do you and, think this would have gotten turned into a no DQ match before? I would say it's highly possible. <laughs> I would. It's just I, like I don't know. Like it's like I I I really just want to judge the show standalone, and we've done that, or I've done that. 
but there's just part of me that wants to like say that certain things like stood out to me on this show and, and that I think they're like huge positives moving forward because that means there's going to be more really good shows like this one which right. certainly gives me something to look forward to um, but yeah Really, on note of the match, though, I mean, I just saw that this match was worked so effectively. I mean, even just the way that it started off simply with the two of them just trading shoulder block after shoulder block, I, I thought that was just very awesome. And then, without a doubt, a lot of the near falls that they had throughout the match were, I bought several of them, to say the least. Uh, like, such as uh, the deadlift German by Elgin on Steam was yeah. completely impressive. Uh, when he managed to hit that spiral bomb on him after that, or I, I believe shortly after that, that was absolutely amazing. And then the finish itself was completely devastating, which was an avalanche package pile driver, which, <laughs> yeah. whew. Yeah, I, I, thought I, Elgin, I, I thought Elgin had won for sure Yeah, when like, they did the uh, the powerbomb right yeah. before the package. Yeah, I mean, like, so I got to give credit to them. It's like at both Elgin title matches this year, I think I have bought more near falls that I have any Ring of Ring of Honor title match in years, so. And Why do you think that is? Is it is? I mean, obviously it's a credit to Michael Elgin, but like, is there something specific about the work? I mean, I would say it it's out? The, the the way the way that they pace, well, that both matches were paced, as yeah. well as uh, just like the comebacks that Michael Elgin has had or had in both matches just made everything completely believable. And especially the Fort Lauderdale match, uh, which, honestly, I I mean, we were talking about, you know, the way that the crowd sided, you know, whether it be with Dave, or, well, at the time, Davey Rogan or Steen Elgin. Yeah. I would say that throughout that Lauderdale match, everyone, or at least it was probably like 70-30 for Elgin by the time that that really hit its final stretch. But And here, it was probably more about like half and half uh, for Steen and Elgin by the time it hit that final stretch. But really, it's just a credit to both Steen and Davey in terms of the way that they can control matches, and then it's a credit to Elgin for the way that he can make his comeback, I would say is a good way of putting it. Yeah, I and, mean, I uh, can't disagree. I mean, in both matches, I mean, are obviously the top two ROH matches this year. Yeah. Right? Okay, yeah, I'm I forgetting. Say, I just I mean, we'll I always feel like I'm going to forget Cena Gennaro okay, from yes. night one of Lauderdale was also yeah. really, really, really good. But yeah, I, I, was, I always forget I'm going to forget something, so... Oh, no. I, I can't cover I mean, my Hey, bases. there's a lot of wrestling out there. I mean... Yeah, yeah, that's it, for sure. I mean, just talking uh, last week alone, I mean, I've been watching uh, New Japan I pay-per-view, watch a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, and I watch a TNA pay-per-view all within a pretty quick span. And I still... And a UFC more. show. Yes, and a UFC yes. show on top of that. All four quality shows. Very quality shows. And another another question I want to ask you about the Glory of Honor show. I mean, because we've you know we've pretty much covered everything. Is that was and maybe I asked this. I mean, but was Davy and Lethal the best mid card undercard ROH match like since when? I mean, Generico and Steen was sub main event to the three way elimination of Fort Lauderdale. But excluding that, maybe Kyle like, Cole from Best in the World. Yeah, I mean, I think it's compare. I thought this match was better, but yeah, I would. Yeah, say I so. mean, I think that's comparable. But like, and, and that was a freak accident. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like, I don't want to yeah. say the. Ma I, I've always been hesitant to say this. That, that match was like a mistake in ways. So instead of mistake, we'll just always call it like this: the number two miracle for Ring of Honor this year. 
uh, behind or ahead, however you look at it, of Davian Elgin from Fort Lauderdale. But not not and of course I'm not discrediting Cole, you know, for making the most of that situation, obviously, you know. But Right. I just think that like I don't know, it's definitely the best like mid card ROH match since I can't even remember. It's gotta yeah. be I, I, probably Again, I think we're going back to like Yeah, yeah. The like that April May period of two thousand eleven, which is uh, arguably, you know, when uh, you know the transition happened uh, to a new booker, so Yep. And also, uh, <laughs> it's like we're talking so much about how good the main event was, we're almost discrediting what happened after the main event, which was oh, yes. a, a colossal uh, excitement was let out on Twitter simultaneously, I would say. Yeah, yeah well, about uh, uh, simultaneously, like, 30 people predicted that it was going to be Generico's mask. Yeah, I mean, we had a rough cut co- came down to the ring and handed Nigel a box. Uh, yeah. Me being a huge fan of the film Seven, I'm just thinking to myself, like Brad Pitt, what's in the box? What's in the box? Come on. I think all the wrestling fans were asking, uh, what was the Lex Luger quote uh, in terms of the box? But, anyways, go ahead. <laughs> and the crowd started chanting, Ole, very loudly. Which and there was actually were- a very loud one during the match. Too. Yeah, which Nigel actually uh, sort of, like, downplayed, if yeah. I recall. Like, he was just saying, oh, Ring of Honor fans are letting out their uh, voices be heard about names of Ring of Honor's past. And when he said that quote, I'm just like, wow, that is a depressing quote to hear. <laughs> but <laughs> I was, uh, thankfully, that was quickly shut down as Kevin Steen opened the box, uh, took out some papers, and he looked like he saw a ghost when he opened yep. the box, and there was El Generico's mask. And it yeah, went absolutely ballistic. The, the two saw, images floating around are incredible. They I just saw, capture it so perfectly. I saw someone make an absolutely awesome tweet. I believe I favorited it. Or someone saying that in any other promotion, El Generico is a luchador, but in Ring of Honor, he is Batman, and he yeah. just sent the Joker a message. And yeah. I was like, wow, could that not be more apropos? <laughs> <laughs> like, that was absolutely well put, whoever that was. And I, uh, I have no idea as to what this means for Generico. I'd have to assume, I mean, I, I hate to even say assume, just because I don't know. But if this is going to be just a one-time thing where Generico comes in, has another awesome match in his never-ending series with Steen, I will be happy. He comes in, wins the title from Steen, I'll be happy. There, there's no real bad conclusion to what well, I don't think. Generico's the conclusion to the story. I mean, yeah. it's funny because, like, I think a lot of people have kind of predicted that Generico was going to kind of come back. And I think it's always kind of been like, in the back of people's heads, I don't know, but, like, when, like, even before Steen won the title, we were talking about, okay, so how are they going to lay out Steen? Are they going to just let Steen run through everybody, and then, uh, in terms of singles matches before he wins the title, because a lot of people were predicting, hey, Steen's not going to win the belt till final battle, and then you just, like, do every match again, but no, the story should have been that Steen wins the belt, and then all the challengers face him because then obviously, you know, he wouldn't have already beaten everybody leading up to final battle. And then the conclusion, I mean, the only person that can beat him is Generico. Like, and and how they've played this angle, I just don't, I can't even fathom him not winning the belt because if they don't, what are they going to, what's the backdrop? Lethal? That's not going to work. 
And if they say, do lethal first, if they do lethal first, everybody's waiting for Generico. So yeah, I mean, considering that they pretty much established, I mean, well, for when, well, it, granted, it hasn't aired on TV yet, but when Lethal One Survival of the Fittest, he just won a title shot for whatever, I suppose you could say, right? And not necessarily for Final Battle. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And then, of course, they're so, doing the storyline with Steen that, you know, Lethal can't challenge while he's the champion. Maybe we'll get that uh, Lethal Generico match I'm wanting so badly. <laughs> it's very possible now, actually. And then, I mean, yeah, I mean, really, it just... Just thinking about, like, everyone else around the roster, I mean, you just had Elgin, you know, he just lost. Strong certainly won't be challenging him. Uh, Edwards won't be challenging him. Davey won't be challenging him again, because he can't. Lethal can't. So I thought if uh, I thought if they put the belt on Elgin, I thought there would have been several options. Like I, th- I think that you could have done what I was actually saying. They should have done like a four-way elimination because Elgin and Roddy is so unappealing. It's a lot more appealing now, I think, because I have confidence after seeing the show that they'll just have like a great twenty-minute match. Uh, mm-hmm. I still have no interest in seeing it beyond an initial match unless they do something so great in the first one that I have to see a rematch, which, hey, that's always plausible. Um, but do something with, like, Elgin and Strong and Lethal and Steen or something like that. You could have yeah. intertwined that. And I think that's a very, like, appealing match. Do elimination. You have a lot of different stories there. You get a lot of different types of things over. Um, yeah, and that was but, the type of thing that, you know, was very useful in Ring of Honor years ago. I mean, you yeah. just look at that, like, that uh, Death Before Dishonor 6 main event, uh, yeah. just as offhand. I mean, you had a yep. lot of stories intersect there, and that would be the same case here. Yeah, but having said that, of course, I highly doubt that will be the case. Um, what, uh, I guess at this point, Elgin and Roddy is pretty much the one lock uh, for Final Battle. Yeah, Um yeah. And then, I guess, Steen defending the title. And then, really, other than that, I guess it's kind of up in the air. I mean, uh, somebody pointed this out to me. There was no mention of Matt Hardy on the show, was there? Not to my knowledge, no. And I would have to assume that, you know, following uh, Death Before Dishonor, we're going to probably get him and Cole at Final Battle. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's what we presumed. I would have assumed that that stuff was already booked, you know? for Final Battle because it's not like they have like uh, so many shows in front of it I mean they have like one TV taping Um, and maybe it'll still happen but if it doesn't happen you know is that a product of uh, you know this change that they made in the last you know week and a half two weeks I would say it's highly plausible I mean like I couldn't think of any other reason I, I just find it strange that the product just like at least for this night completely changed I mean entirely well, it's amazing what uh, I mean. Just to cre- I mean, it's a it's a very good example as to what a creative overall can do. I mean, you look at the way that TNA has completely revamped themselves since they got rid of Russo. Right. You look at the way that Ring of Honor, at least for this particular show, it remains to be seen if it continues. But I would have to think that it will continue to improve what it's been largely stagnant for a while. Even WWE just had a creative change, and now I managed to actually watch Raw on Monday and actually not want to like keel over afterwards. Yeah. Which I I actually enjoyed, yeah. so it's a real credit to the way that just like uh, changing up the people that are handling these type of things can really change promotion for the better. Well, especially when I think when you're talking about products like Ring of Honor and even maybe with TNA, is that uh, uh, I just it's it's like seclu- like I don't know it's just like well with with Russo and with Cornette as I thought their booking was plaguing the product so much. You know, it's like, and and it's only, I feel like, things that they would do, you know, like nobody else. So as soon as somebody else comes in, you're going to see differences, you know? 
And, yeah. and I guess that's kind of what happened in both cases. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, you know, I feel like part of it, especially when Mondo did that dive off the, uh, off the entrance in the second match, mind you, I was thinking, wow, they're really trying to make a point with this show in ways, you know, yeah. because why would you do a dive off the entrance in the second match? I mean, hopefully I mean, no reason to say that this is not what you have become accustomed to in the last year. Yes, that's for sure. And, you know, like we said, I mean, uh, other than the scum match, Darius Thomas going over Rhino, which that story has to be a roll-up, uh, really. Um, all clean. Even Haas and Benjamin, like, totally clean as a whistle. Both former world champions went over clean as could possibly go over. Uh, we didn't talk about the idea of uh, Wolves uh, reuniting. We have not, actually, which... I would I... assume they're going to team up at Final Battle, and I think there's going to be a really awesome match. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but... Maybe, well, I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, perhaps uh, yeah, Wolves reuniting to take on Carino and Jacobs. That would actually be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, gotta have something new. For them oh, the one match I was thinking about earlier today that we're never gonna get now is Haas and Benjamin against the Young Bucks. Ugh. Like, I talked about when wow. the Young Bucks were still kind of in and out, that they hadn't done that match yet, but, like, now it's, like, that's never gonna happen. Wow. <laughs> and you know uh, what's a positive, too, with Haas and Benjamin? Uh, their two-year contract's up in April. Oh, boy. <laughs> And now with uh, Benjamin uh, being, you know, relatively going overseas for a while, and Haas, well, he's not really doing much. <laughs> well, he's on all the shows. He's certainly well, not doing much, though. Well, oh, well, other outside of Ring of Honor. Yes, yes, say. yes. But uh, yeah, who knows what the future is in, whole, uh, in store for them? But at minimum, for one night with Ring of Honor, the future is looking very bright. Very, very good show. Uh, after having thought about it some more, I, it's honestly like butting heads between this and Bound for Glory. It just, it really a testament to both companies for them to both deliver very good pay-per-views uh, throughout the weekend, and I mean deliver uh, really good matches. I mean both of them had like three great matches each, with some good stuff scattered throughout the show, and nothing overly deplorable, I can say at all. So. Really, thumbs up for both companies this weekend. Very big credit to them. Yeah, and, and a thumbs up, a thumbs up in general right now. I mean, you have PWG hitting, hitting, well, continuing to be on stride. Um, you have, you know, King, and this is actually stealing a point from Grant Akuma more than anybody else. I've seen it retweeted like so many times for whatever reason. He always mentions, uh, oh, things are looking up. But you have, you know, King of Trios just happened. Uh, Evolve and Dragon Gate USA have dates. Uh, I think for the first time on their event page, they have more than three events and more than one weekend. Uh, so that that's a positive. I Those November shows look incredible. I mean, so many things I'm looking forward to on that weekend. Um, and, you know, I guess TNA, I haven't seen it yet, uh, you know, was a good show. And, uh, you know, Glory of Honor was a, was a really good show as well. So uh, a lot of positive things. And New Japan, which I haven't watched yet, but. Which was absolutely fantastic. I'd probably go as far as to say the show of the year, honestly. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps uh, the, by the end of October, we can be talking about Hell in a Cell in the same light. Uh, oh, let's hope. 
<laughs> well, I don't know if Seamus and Big Show will match the uh, positivity that uh, Kevin Steen and Michael Elgin brought tonight. Well, let but... me tell you, if, if Big Show and Seamus and Ryback and Punk is the double main event, there's no stopping it. <laughs> <laughs> and with me being there, there's no stopping it. Uh, yeah, from lovely Atlanta, we bring you Seamus and Big Show. <laughs> Oh, I feel for you for that one. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could always rant about Big Show. The guy uh, just. Uh, hey, look, he'll be at the next NXT in a month. <laughs> oh, I'll definitely be down there for that one. Wait, next month? November? Yes. Okay, November I was thinking maybe maybe December, maybe that Evolve shot that's not going to happen. But. Uh, yeah, well, we will see about that as well. Yeah. But I suppose that should conclude our first first ever dual duel concept that Ring of Honor seemed abandoned, but we will not abandon. I can tell you that yeah. much. Now everybody will understand it, because we didn't mention that at the beginning, but or maybe yes. you did. But. Uh, no, I did not, actually. <laughs> uh, it's a very good play off of the <laughs> the uh, Young Bucks, and God, I already forgot who was in the match. Anx. Anx. Wow. I forgot they were even a team at this point. And they had two decent eight-minute matches that, if booked were booked on Gore of Honor tonight would have been awesome 15 minute matches but yeah what? what can you do why do I always think that way I don't get it but anyways well, well it's a what could have been scenario sure certainly but uh that wraps it up for today I will say as well that I will be back on Thursday to have a new take on five impactful minutes, which I have unfortunately been lacking on account of personal issues, whether it be due to birthday or like the case of last Thursday, having a bit of a rough night at a concert. So <laughs> this Thursday, I can assure that that will not happen, and I will be bringing you the latest news on Devon and Aces of Eight, Aces and Eights, as well as whatever else that Impact has in store. Until then, I'm JP Nichols and Ben Turpin as well. This is all for free admission real. We will talk to you again very soon.